0: It's really important that you choose that person wisely. Like Ideally, you have the opportunity perhaps to choose amongst VCs who would invest in your business. And I think getting to know that person, what they care about, how they support their entrepreneurs is really important. You are going to be working very closely with this person for the life of your
1: business. Welcome into to Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview entrepreneurs, investors, and CEOs who reveal their personal stories and advice for high school and college students on how to become successful in the business world. Today, we are joined by Rob Taylor, who has founded and operated five VC-backed startups over the past 20 years, including Black Locust, which sold to Home Depot in 2012, and Car, which went public in 2014. Most recently, Rob co-founded and was the CEO of a B2B SaaS company called Convey, which was acquired by Project 44 in September of 2021 for $255 million. In addition to being a founder, Rob has been a mentor at Capital Factory and Techstars, and he currently is a board member at Lawn Starter. Here's the interview. Rob, it's so great to see you. I'm so glad that I have both brothers on the podcast now.
0: (laughs) Great to meet you, Will. Excited to be here.
1: So I was, actually, I think it was yesterday, Chris posted on LinkedIn about his journey with Square Root ending, and I loved your comment on his post about VC and how it's so hard to become profitable. Could you talk a little bit about essentially what the joke was and why it's important?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a little bit of background. So my brother Chris recently exited his business that he's been building for the last 17 years, and he bootstrapped that business, which means that he essentially self-funded it, became profitable very early, and used those cash flows to kind of gradually grow the business, never took any outside investment. And my path has been very different than building companies for the last 25 years, all of them have been venture capital backed, which basically means you raise money from other people in order to essentially accelerate growth. The consequence of that speed and acceleration is that you are typically operating at a loss in order to gain more market share. And so the joke was, Chris, you know it's hard enough to build an unprofitable VC backed business. I'm so impressed by how you did it which is created a real sustainable profitable business. Over time. So that was the joke. It was a little bit of self-deprecation and also a lot of love and admiration for how he built his business.
1: So when I talked to your brother, he definitely made the case for bootstrapping and he explained to me why he thought bootstrapping was the best way to go. Do you agree with him? And if not, why?
0: I don't necessarily think there is a best path. I think the paths are very different. And I think it really depends on the entrepreneur and what the idea is and what the aspiration of the entrepreneur is. You know, A bootstrap path, as Chris talked to you about, is really one of control. He was able to make every decision. He owned the entire company. He could grow as slow or fast as he wanted. And a VC-backed path is very different where you raise money from somebody else. And so there there are board members where you no longer have that same level of control. So that's the downside of VC-backed business. But the benefit is you can go faster, right? Chris would tell you that he could not grow as quickly, perhaps, as I was growing my businesses because I was able to really put gas on the go-to-market, the sales and marketing process, because we had money to do that. So there are just advantages and disadvantages. I think the other important point is not every business is VC-backable. And what 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 I mean by that is institutions like venture capitalists are really looking for big ideas, big markets, where in fact, if you do invest large sums of money, there is a big market to go capture and capture it quickly. That's how you create value is by capturing share and ultimately getting an exit value out of that. And so not every idea and not every business sort of fits that
1: mold. And so can we talk about you now? Like, what do you do? What's your title? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis?
0: Yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur CEO for the last 25 years across five companies. And as I mentioned, all of those have been using other people's money, institutional money to grow and and exit those businesses. And my last business, we actually sold last year, and that was a B2B SaaS software business. Really, my last three businesses fit that mold, business-to-business, SaaS, software, And that was an eight-year journey of really creating a new category. It took a long time to figure it out. We finally did and had a great couple of last years. Ultimately, that business was acquired by a strategic partner. And so I exited the business about eight months ago and I'm taking a break, much needed break. I have not taken a break in 25 years and really enjoying sort of giving back a little bit, mentoring first-time CEOs, taking some board roles. And so, you know, that for now is my future.
1: So for our listeners that might not know, can you explain what B2B businesses are and what SaaS businesses are? So,
0: B2B just means that the product or service that you are selling is sold to businesses versus going direct to consumers. So, if you think about some of the apps that are on your phone that you use every day, those are consumer focused businesses, whereas we were selling software to large enterprises. And so, that's what B2B means. SaaS is really software as a service. And so, what this means is we we are selling software or capabilities that we host and we provide those capabilities through a cloud based application to businesses. So let me give you an example. My last business Convey, again, B2B SaaS business, we sold software to large retailers. So think Home Depot, Costco, a lot of direct consumer brands on the internet like Bonobos and others. And what we help them do is understand where deliveries were in their network at any given time. So to bring this to a practical example, think about when you go to Home Depot online you order a grill from the time you click buy convey would understand where that product is until it is delivered to you and at any given time these large retailers have tens of thousands of deliveries out for delivery and they'd have no idea where these items are and where there's distress in their network so we help them understand not only where everything was through a dashboard but we then help them predict where there would be distress and that allowed us then to proactively communicate to the consumer to say, you know, uh uh-oh, we've noticed a delay in their delivery. Don't worry, we've reshipped you a new one. So it's all about the customer experience around purchase reliability, delivery reliability. And so all of those capabilities we hosted in the cloud at Convey, and then we provided those web-based dashboards and capabilities to our business customers.
1: So I was looking on your LinkedIn profile because I like to stock everybody's LinkedIn profile a little bit before the interviews, but I saw that you described yourself as a startup And growth stage CEO backed by venture capital that has experience taking businesses to IPO. Could you explain what IPOs are and what it means to be a startup and growth stage CEO?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you start a business from the very beginning all the way through an IPO, you know, the business goes through so many different stages, and those stages have very different challenges along the way. And so, you know, going through five companies, a few of which have gone. On all the way through IPO, and I'll describe what that is. You know, I've just learned a lot of lessons the hard way. You know, when do you hire your first sales executive and how you build a great team and a great culture? And, you know, when do you hire your first leader or executive in the business? When is the right time to actually put gas on the business and invest ahead of revenue, especially if you're a venture capital-backed business? And so I've just been through it a number of times. Now, an IPO is really just one type of exit for a business. And an IPO is an initial public offering. So all that means is that you are publicly offering shares in your company to investors. And that also creates a liquid market for your shares. I mean, up until that point, typically, if you're a shareholder in a private company, you don't have the ability to sell those shares until there's a public market for them. And so that's really what an IPO provides. It provides liquidity for existing shareholders and allows other shareholders to come into your business. That's just one type of exit. Another type of exit, which is the convey exit, is we had another private company acquire our business. And then we were integrated into that business. And so lots of ways that can happen too. We did a part stock, part cash deal where our shareholders were paid partially in cash and partially in stock of the new company. And so there's lots of ways to exit.
1: And so you seem to have a strength with VCs and you have a lot of experience with VCs. So what do you think is the most important part of a pitch?
0: The most important part is the early stage investing is a lot about storytelling. And the storytelling, that is dependent on the entrepreneur to really inspire through a big vision and confidence, right? Like a venture capitalist is looking at you as the entrepreneur and asking themselves, is this the person that can actually get this business off the ground and build this business? Are they going to have the fortitude to fight through all of the inevitable challenges that they will face trying to build this business? And so it is a lot about the entrepreneur and inspiring that confidence confidence, you know, in those early meetings, I would say that's, you know, I'm going to dodge your question and give you two important things. That's the first one. It really is about confidence in the entrepreneur. And then I think second, it is about vision to capture a big market. Does this idea have the potential to be a big company with a large market that you can go capture a reasonable share? There's a lot more into it, but I'd say those are the two, in my view, the two most important things.
1: After venture capitalists invest, what is it like to work with them? Do you have quarterly reports where you talk to the investors and kind of tell them what's going on? And are those meetings tense? Do you feel stressed when you go into those meetings? What is it like to work with venture capitalists?
0: The way I view this is your board member. So typically when a venture capitalist invests in your business, they get a board seat. So they become a member of your board of directors. And it's really important that you choose that person wisely. Like ideally, you have the opportunity perhaps to choose amongst VCs who would invest in your business. And I think getting to know that person, what they care about, how they support their entrepreneurs is really important. You are going to be working very closely with this person for the life of your business. And so I have been very fortunate, especially over the last decade, to work with very supportive venture capitalists. And when I say supportive, what I mean by that is when things go sideways, and they always do, what level of support are you going to get from your board? It's an important question and you need to feel good as an entrepreneur that you're getting, that person is going to be supportive when times get tough. And so I think you know vetting that venture capitalist right up front and asking those tough questions about, tell me when other entrepreneurs in your portfolio have struggled and how you helped prop them up. I think it's a reasonable question to ask.
1: Let's talk more specifically about the growth stage. What is the growth stage like? What is important to keep in mind And can you give an example of the growth stage that's not convey? Because I'd love to talk about that a bit later.
0: I would define the growth stage is the point at which you have evidence that there is product market fit. And what I mean by that is you have built a product that now you are able to repeatedly sell to your target customer. And you have increasing evidence that there is value there and that that target customer is willing to pay. And you are doing this multiple times and in a repeatable way. That is a signal. There are lots of other signals, but I think that is a signal that you have found fit in the market. And perhaps it is time to really invest aggressively in sales and marketing capabilities, more people, marketing dollars, campaigns, all of these things to really move the business forward quickly. And then you also have to make those requisite investments in the product because the more customers you sell, the more demanding they become, and you have to continue to innovate in your product too. But I think the growth stage is really at that inflection point where you have product market fit and you're ready to go faster.
1: In both Price Lock, which sold to Home Depot and Convey, which sold to Project 44, you went through an exit by acquisition. Can you talk about how that type of exit goes? Yeah. And it was
0: actually Black Locust that sold to Home Depot. Um, And then yes, Convey convey to Project 44. Yeah. So both of those were strategic exits. So Black Locus was acquired by Home Depot. Let me talk about that one first. So Black Locus, again, B2B SaaS selling into large retailers like Home Depot. Home Depot was a customer of ours. And we were essentially doing pricing intelligence at scale. So think about you know, Home Depot has millions of SKUs of products in their catalog. They don't know how competitive they are on price across the web. And so we had some technology that helped them understand that. And so where they wanted to gain share, where they wanted to drop pricing, increase pricing, we helped them optimize all of that. And I think what they realized was that this was very strategic. We were able to influence pricing even by pennies. It could drop millions of dollars to the bottom line for them. And so they saw this as very strategic. They didn't want us to partner with their competitors. And so essentially, they came to us and said, how would you like to be a part of business and made us an offer we couldn't refuse. And so we were acquired by Home Depot basically to kind of take us off the market and become an internal capability. And then it was fun because we became an innovation lab really for Home Depot where we were working on lots of different projects across the business, mostly based in cutting edge technology and data science. So that's one example. Convey to Project 44 was a little bit different. So I described Convey, if you recall, as we were providing really visibility into all of those last mile customer deliveries for retail. And so we became a leader in that last mile space. Project 44 was the leader in visibility across all other modes. So think about ocean and air visibility from China to the US. You've got full truckload moves between distribution centers in the US. These are modes that Convey really didn't participate in. We were exclusively focused on the last mile, and Project 44 was the leader in what we call first and middle miles. And so the idea here was, and we weren't competing with them. So this wasn't a competitive acquisition. It was an additive one, meaning we we believe that by bringing these two companies together, we would create the first end-to-end visibility company. And so we saw a lot of value in that. And so that's why we brought those two businesses together. So both strategic exits, but very different thesis.
1: Now I want to talk about Convey. So before Convey, you were at not Pricelock. Which one was it? It was
0: Uh, was Black Locust and Home Depot. So I stayed on with Home Depot for a couple of years to run the innovation lab here in Austin and then jumped to Convey.
1: Yeah. And so how did you come up with the idea for Convey? Like that feels like a very specific problem that I wouldn't know about unless I knew something very specific about that business.
0: Yeah. So I actually had some co-founders in that business. And so I didn't come from a trans transportation, visibility background. They did. I came really from the retail and SaaS software background. So I teamed up with a few other founders in that business and we sort of brought our collective experiences together. And we saw an opportunity here given the explosion in e-commerce and then the resulting increase in package delivery. I mean, think about all the packages that come to your door on a weekly basis. It's a stunning amount of volume. And the problem was the retailers just didn't understand where that stuff was and if their delivery dates were going to be met. And it was resulting in really bad consumer experiences. So we came together to embark on this adventure.
1: What Convey does now, does that reflect what the initial idea was? Or did you have to pivot to what Convey is now?
0: Oh my... There's always a pivot. (laughs) There's always a pivot or two. No, the idea for Convey at the outset was very, very different. And I think the question you asked is a really, really important one, which is, at least in my experience, the idea that you have at the outset almost always goes through some substantial iterations to find the actual product market fit that I talked about before. And this is really informed by a number of things. But most importantly, customer demand. As you start having those conversations with your customers as they start using your product you learn a lot and in a lot of cases the expectations that you had initially are either not met or you see something or you see another opportunity sort of adjacent that becomes more important to pursue and so yes there were several pivots before we actually figured out the product market fit
1: once you actually found product market fit where did you go from there
0: Well, let's go back to the conversation we had before. So I think once we saw the signals that there was product market fit, we began to invest more money. And so we raised more capital when we felt like we had that fit and began to aggressively spend that capital on our sales and marketing operation to grow the business. And that's really what happened. Once we really figured it out, we started growing 70 to 100% year over year, which is a pretty strong growth rate, especially for a new market that we were trying to create.
1: Was that capital from the founders or did you go to VCs and pitch your idea?
0: There was some founder money that we invested at the outset, but we we went to VC investment very early. And so we took a seed investment pretty much right out of the gate. And that was about $2.5 million. And then we used that money over the next 18 months or so to really refine the product, keep our cash burn as low as possible until we could get the product to where it needed to be. We did some customer discovery. And again, once we figured it out, we raised more money. And so Convey in total raised about $25 million.
1: After having started all these successful companies. Do you think that that made it easier to raise capital from investors?
0: I think in the Convey situation, it certainly did. The venture capital investor in Convey was the same investor that I worked with at Black Locust, which is the company just prior. And so we made some money together on the Black Locust investment when they exited Home Depot. And because there was trust there, because we were aligned on how to build a business, it made it easy for them to jump in with us. And so, yes, I think track record matters.
1: You said you took a lot of capital. I think you said it was $2.5 million at the beginning in seed round to kind of grow your sales and marketing team. What was your growth strategy with the sales and marketing team? Where specifically did that money go to?
0: The initial money, the first two and a half million, really went more into product development because we didn't have product market fit yet. I would say the next round of financing, which was somewhere between five and eight million, that was really where we began to put more sales and marketing investment in place. And so that was hiring a experienced sales leader who then built a team of sales representatives below them. There's software that helps power that engine that we acquired. That's on the sales side, on the marketing side, you know, doing lead generation, email campaigns, brand development, again, largely people related to begin to get our brand out there, our name out there, begin to market our capabilities and use those marketing leads to then funnel into the sales team so that they could follow up on them. You're really investing in a sales and marketing engine and that's how we did it.
1: Can you give some examples of initial customers that used your software?
0: So we were really most appropriate for large Enterprise retailers. And so Home Depot became an early customer. You know, I had some relationships there, which helped because we sold the last company to them. We at least got introduced to the right people, and they were a great customer of ours from the very beginning. Costco became a customer, Bed Bath and Beyond, a lot of really large retailers who have complex supply chains, complex delivery networks, large volumes of packages that are out for delivery at any given point in time. It's that complexity that really was a great fit for us because we just simplified all of it for them.
1: Those are some pretty big retailers. Were you able to land those customers super early on or did you have to establish some credibility first to be able to sell to those retailers?
0: This is another important point, which is credibility does matter, especially when you're selling into large enterprises, whether it's retail or really any other space. I think large companies want to see some amount of traction or capabilities. Credibility, as you say, is important. and. Yeah. I mean, I think getting that first large enterprise is really important. And so there are lots of creative ways to do that. You can make it easier by engaging in sort of a co-development relationship. You can engage in a pilot where you basically say, listen, we'll come in, we'll invest three months of our time. It's unpaid. We'll show you capabilities. You can engage with us. You can give us feedback that we can then build into the product that's specific to your use case. So I think there are creative ways to get that first and second customer. And you use the brand of those first or second customers to sell your third, fourth, and fifth, right? And then it just really becomes a flywheel. I think as you get more of these large enterprises, that it really gives you credibility, brand, and you can use that to very quickly Grow.
1: I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you are a board member at Lawn Starter. Can you talk about what it means to be a board member and how you got involved with Lawn Starter?
0: So yes, I'm the independent board director at Lawn Starter. So a little bit maybe board of directors 101 here. Typically, a board of directors in a venture-backed business has anywhere between three and seven board members, depending on the stage of development. And the makeup of that board is typically a founder or two that really represents the common shareholders of the business, a VC or or two, depending on how many rounds of capital you have gone through. And then there's typically what's called an independent board director, which is somebody who has not invested in the business and is also not a founder. So the idea here is that there's real independence, right? You're not representing the views of the invested capital, nor of the founders. You're trying to take an independent view. And so that's the board seat I have at Lawn Starter. They are also a venture-backed business. And I have known the founders of that business since they started. In fact, I was one of the first investors in their business probably over a decade ago now and was really an informal mentor for the CEO over that time period. And then they did a great job building and scaling the business. And when this independent director seat came up, it was really easy for me to slide into it. So I met their institutional VC investors, seemed like a great fit. And yeah, I've been on that board for about a year now.
1: It seems like you've done a lot of mentorship. You are a board member and you were a mentor at Capital Factory and Techstars. Is there any piece of advice that you would say that you repeat a lot to founders you mentor?
0: Yes. Again, that depends on the stage. But I think at the earliest stages, there's a lot of mentorship around how and when to raise money. So it's this whole conversation about how you approach VCs, what's important. So raising capital is often a big topic. The other one is when to hire leadership and how to sequence that, right? Like over time, you're going to hire head of sales, you're going to hire head of marketing, head of product, head of engineering, all of these functions. But you have to... Sequence them in the right way. Like, you don't have enough capital to go hire six executives all at once. You would burn through all of your cash. And so you need to be thoughtful about which function and then how do you attract and hire great people? How do you build culture? These are the earliest stage discussions. It's people, team, raising capital.
1: So I like to ask all of my interviewees this question, which is Do you have any favorite resources such as books or podcasts or newsletters that you like to read to learn more about business?
0: There's a few. I mean, I really enjoy the All In podcast, which is Jason Calacanis runs that. I think that's a great one. The Union Square Ventures newsletter that comes out from Fred Wilson, I think is a great one. Brad from Foundry Group puts out some content as well that I think is great. Most of mine kind of focuses on technology, startups. That's where I get the majority of my information.
1: Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great
0: really enjoyed it. Thanks,
1: Will. As always, thank you for listening, and please make sure you follow Studying Success to get notified when new podcasts come out. Also, please leave a review and send the podcast to your friends and family to show them what you learned. It would greatly help the show. I'm Will Burkhart, and you've been listening to Studying Success.